Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. It is Sunday, really, really late, well past 2 a.m. Madrid time. The, the dust has settled. We're home from the burnabout. The pressers are long finished. And what a night at the burnabout. Really, I think the most fun night at the burnabout that I've been in since that PSG game. And I would say, like, really the truly last great night at the burnabout since probably the Bayern game in 2018. I don't know if we've had anything to top it since. Certainly no no classical victories and certainly no big Champions League nights either. So uh, a really fun game that could have gone in a million different directions because Barcelona actually had the better chances in this game. Um, and the truth be told, this podcast is all over the place. So we'll start with part three, which actually happened before the game started. Eduardo Alvarez and I recorded a, a segment at his place where we talk about more big picture stuff and Jovic, Mariano, Benzema. And I think you might get a chuckle out of uh, out of the Mariano discussion we had. Now, knowing back, reflecting on it, looking at the fact that Mariano scored at the very end of this game with, with uh, his only shot and his only minute of the entire season in the league. So uh, it, it ends there with Eduardo. Stick around for that. Part one, Alex Kirkland and I recorded an impromptu podcast. That's coming up immediately uh, after I finish blabbering on here. And then part two, Ewan McTeer and I, we break it down a little bit further into more detail. Kind of the best performances uh, on the pitch, Zidane's overall game plan, Setien's game plan, the post-game quotes, and and it just goes into more detail in part two. So part one with Alex, part two with Ewan, part three with Eduardo Alvarez. Stick around for all three. And as a reminder, this is your only free show of the week ever. The weekend show is the only show that you get for free. The rest is over at patreon.com slash managing Madrid. On Tuesday, Matt Wilty and I will record the loan tracker. On, um, on Thursday, Lucas Navarrete and I with the mailbag. And that's the bare minimum. I'm pretty sure there's more coming off the top of my head. I can't think of it right now. But um, also, Churros y Tacticas tomorrow. And you already know who's going to do the intro, baby. Churros y Tacticas. Make sure you're a subscriber over on that podcast with Diego Lorin and I. And yeah, I'm just I'm just really pumped. And I had a lot of fun tonight. And uh, I think we all did. Anyone attending the Burnabout did. It was a fun night. Fun game to be at especially that second half. So without further ado, let's get started. Here's part one with Alex. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Welcome to an impromptu, uh, I guess, bonus segment of the Managing Madrid podcast where we are just sitting outside the press room with Alex Kirkland of ESPN FC, TSFP. How you doing? That's enough letters. That's enough, I, I, I got tongue-tied just saying that. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, what a fun game to be at, eh? It was. Yeah. I, mean, it's, I, thought, I know it's easy to overreact in the immediate aftermath of a game, yeah. and it's a dangerous thing to do, but that felt significant to me, especially that second half, the way that Real Madrid played and really kind of blew Barca away, I thought. 
um, that second half especially. So I, I thought it was interesting because my immediate thought, like once you come down from the emotional high of like the chaos, Marcelo pumping up the crowd and, you know, a lot of like heroics, some, some drama, uh, a couple of goals that maybe normally wouldn't have gone in from acute angles from Real Madrid, missed chances from Braithwaite, Piquet, Messi, big saves from Kofod Ter Stegen. I actually thought, you know, as as much as this was a 2-0 win, this somehow could have been gone in, gone in like a million different directions. It could have been a Barca 2-0 win. I don't know, like what, what was your, what's your take like once you kind of come down from it all and analyze it? Yeah, I mean, I think Barca had chances for sure. I thought Barca were marginally the better team in the first half, called 12 minute cut and the good saves. Although not, Barca weren't the better team by much, mm. I didn't think. But no, my impression in the second half was that Real Madrid were, were clearly the stronger team. Yes, they took their chances. Yes, Barca didn't. The key moments went their way, I guess. But I don't think that, that Barca can look back at that and feel in any way hard done by. I don't know if you, while we were in there with the press conference for Setien and Zidane, PK spoke. Did you see the quote? Uh, he said this was the worst, worst Real Madrid I've seen. In, uh, in, in a single half at the Bernabeu. It was the worst he's seen Real Madrid play at the Bernabeu in a single half. I mean, that feels like trolling it feels Doesn't like it? it feels like there's some some little bit of salt in those words just, I don't know. just, a, just, a, just a little bit just a touch yeah i mean i didn't think Madrid were, were bad in the first half i didn't think they were great i thought it was pretty even i, I thought i thought i thought the story of the first half was semedo pretty much locked down vinicius one-on-one but vinicius also found a lot of space too it reminded me quite a bit of the first half of the city game in midweek actually yeah. in that yeah. i thought in both games kind of city and, and barca were maybe Lightly better, had a bit more of the ball, but not not an awful lot happened. I thought for a lot of the first half, both teams, it was a little bit slow. Barca had more of the ball, but weren't always doing a lot with it. Madrid were looking to hit him on the counter, Vinicius in particular with his pace, but the end product was was an issue. And then yeah. it was the second half that really came to life. And that sounds about right. Um, so what stood out for you? Well, first of all, anything, did anything stick out for you in the press conferences? Um, not particularly. I mean, Zidane never gives too much away right. does he you know he'd be he'd been saying i mean it, to be fair it, it was the same sort of discourse from him that we'd heard before the game which was it's a delicate moment it's been a difficult week we have a chance to turn it around he, yeah. he literally said sunday is the chance to turn it around and then after the game here he said well that's that's exactly what we what we did so zidane never gets carried away ever i think setien was quite phlegmatic as well and, and sort of summarized the game as, as as you just did saying that there were moments that Things didn't go away. There were chances that we that we didn't take. Look, let's let's not kill ourselves. This title race is very much alive. It's it only is. a point in it. There are twelve games to, to go. I feel like so many things could happen and probably will between yeah. now and the end of the points will of be the season. Probably by both teams because both because teams. Not, you know let's let's be brutally honest. Neither team is is at their best now. Whether no. this is you know this is the worst Madrid we've seen for for a long time, as as PK said in that first half. I'm not I'm not sure, but. But it still feels like a really, really significant win. I, I suppose especially because if Barca had won, yeah, five points would have been a lot to turn around. I, I was speaking to some journalists before the game, like neutral journalists who don't have, you know, really, uh, not publicly anyway, foot, a foot in either kind of. Okay, title, I'm, but, I'm pretty neutral. But but, but so their point, their 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 stance on this was: we just hope Barca don't win because we want a title race. Yeah. We don't. We don't want a, a season that ends early like last season. Right? Oh, it's fantastic for the yeah. for the neutrals. I mean, you only have to look around at other leagues around Europe, like the Premier League. So yeah. when you've got a, one team 
sort of on their way to a, a really straightforward title win. That's not what anyone wants to wants to see. And no, like I say, there is there is plenty more to come. But no, this like I say, this felt important. This felt significant, especially for certain players. I mean, Vinicius, what that goal will do for him and his huge his confidence. I think he is. I can't remember another player who excites as much as he frustrates, as much as he delights, as much as he infuriates, yes. like all at the same time, all in the same game. He just frequently yeah. in the same move. Yeah, there'll be one, one thing that's totally incredible, and then another yeah. thing that's. And there was one flowing move at one point, counter-attacking move from the team, and it ended with Vinicius the really heavy touch, and the ball went straight yes. out, of, yeah, 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 straight yeah. out of play. Yeah. He gets the goal. Yes, there's a bit of luck with with the goal, but in this game, just like in the in the City game. He looked the most likely to make something happen from yep. an attacking point of view. Maybe Isco as well in both games and, and certainly tonight. Benzema being a little bit off is still a worry. What is in two goals from him in, in two and a half months? Yeah. I think, I mean, Mariano coming off the bench and scoring is incredible. Is, yeah, what, what a story that is given the season that he's had. And I mean, it's not good news for, for Luka Jovic, who was out of the squads entirely. No. The goal, is, the goal thing is still a, a big issue, I think, and a, and a real concern. But, but that yeah, from Vinicius certainly that's 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 really positive. I like just to that point. Like he is Vinicius is such an emotional roller coaster within like the, like you know it's waves of different. Well, he's a kid, isn't he? He is he's a kid, and you, I, you see it when he plays, and you you hear it when he talks. Yeah. As, as well, we shouldn't forget it. Um, it uh, kind of reminded me of Vinicius's performance against Barcelona in the Copa del, del Rey last year, where he caused Barcelona a bunch of problems, but didn't score. This time he had the deflection to kind of bail him out. Um, we just have to be patient, don't we? I mean, Zidane yeah. was asked about this. That word patience was used in that in that press conference. And it's not easy, especially at a club like, like Real Madrid, because the standards are so high and it is as demanding as it gets. It's not easy to have that patience as, as fans or as, as, as journalists or as, or as coaches, I'm sure. But with him, you can see that like, everything is there. Yeah. It, it's just, it's going to take time because he is, he is a real, you know, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, like rough diamond or whatever but but you know that polishing needs to be polished he needs to be polished um before i let you go i know you're you have the very important job of the espn player ratings i mean those can, player ratings are can you give us a sneak peek? who who stood out for you oh man it's it, i mean i only wrote them about uh, 45 <laughs> minutes ago and i've already forgotten <laughs> um i mean vinicius was was an eight out of ten okay uh, Isco was an 8 out of 10, Courtois was an 8 out of 10. I thought that Marcelo and Carvajal were better than they, they have been for, for, for quite a while. It was a redemption, uh, up and down, redemption second half for those up two. Up and down season. Yeah. Uh, but no, but Vinicius and, and Isco in particular. Okay, okay. Um, this was a great, very, I don't know how, somehow seven and a half minutes just passed by. I feel like we just sat down. I don't know how this <laughs> happened. Um, Alex Kirkland, uh, everyone please go follow Alex if you don't already and go follow his work at ESPN and TSFP. They do amazing stuff and they go to all the games. Uh, Alex, thank you for your time, man. It's my pleasure. All right, welcome to part two of this podcast, which is all over the place. Um, it is well past midnight in Madrid, almost 1 a.m., and sitting with me in a, a, a metro, on the stairs of a metro with people walking by wondering why we're holding laptops uh, out in the open like this. Uh, Ewan McTeer is here on the stairs with me. Ewan, how you doing? I sure am. We're on the stairs, not the escalators. There's escalators next to us. Maybe we should sit on the escalators and we would just like move up and then we could like walk over and move down. 
and pop, and we could have like a bit of a workout as we do our podcast. I, I don't think that maybe we just stay put. I don't think that passes the safety test of the managing Madrid podcast. Uh, yeah. We're uh, probably guidebook. already going to get funny looks that would only bring us more funny looks. Uh, luckily, this is pretty much after the wave has ended. The crowd is is uh, trickling home. Uh, well after the press conferences, well after people have had their beers and they're probably um, going somewhere I to party. I think people are still having they're their beers. They're still having their beers. Yeah. There's something to celebrate. When was the last time Real Madrid won a Clásico at the Bernabeu? They don't do that very often. They did it today. People are celebrating, and for good reason. Well, so 2014 is the last one. Now, having said that, it feels longer than 2014. And, you and know, that's La Liga, I suppose. It was the Supercopa, if you want to call right. that, in 2017. But, yeah, the big, important Clásico that matters. It's been a long time. I, I'll be really honest with you. Um, I... I, I did not, just sitting there like as the game was unfolding, I could, I could kind of see the movie script unfolding as well in that Real Madrid work hard, they defend well, they concede really good chances to, to Barca um, sporadically. They don't take their own chances and somewhere somehow Barca score and that's it. And we just go home with that kind of a somber feeling. That did not happen. Now, uh, I think this game could have gone in a million different directions. I mentioned this to Alex earlier. When you look at the XG, Barca created more because it seemed like Real Madrid caused more chaos. But then you look at the PK chance. You look at the Messi chance. You look at uh, the Braithwaite chance. You look at Courtois coming up pretty big in the first half. Um, I don't know. How, do you? And you, you and I briefly talked about PK's quote earlier. What, how did you see this... Um, kind of from an, uh, a holistic point of view, not from the emotion and the fun game that it was to be at, but if you're kind of looking back, zooming out and analyzing it, how did, how did this game actually go down? I mean, a classical is always so hard to analyze because I think the first goal is so key. I mean, when we've seen Barcelona in the past have these big wins, it's because they've scored the first goal and after that first goal, things just go crazy. Once you score the first goal, you can then go and score two, three, four, five. So the first goal was always going to be key. I think whoever scored the first goal was going to win the game. I don't think there's many fixtures where that's the case, where you score first, you probably win. But it was so interesting. I think the first half was, I don't think it was boring. Some people said boring, but I thought it was so interesting tactically. It almost reminded me of like a basketball game. You know, it was like nobody was ever losing the ball in midfield. It was like there wasn't like ever a steal. Mm. It was like you guys attack, you move up the pitch, you work out your attack, you shoot, you lose the ball, and then we'll attack. And Barcelona's attacks, okay, sure, they were a bit longer. It was like they were using like the full shot clock. They were going a bit longer, going full set in ball, taking their time. Real Madrid were a bit quicker when they did have the ball. But it was very much, okay, you guys have an attack, now we'll have an attack. You have an attack, we'll have an attack. And it was really interesting tactically to see how both teams tried to break down the other one. I think Real Madrid tried to break down Barcelona with pace, with urgency. When we get the ball, try and move a little bit quicker and, and get there. And Barcelona were just the, the classic sort of tiki-taka way where move the ball left, right, left, right, hopefully great spaces. But with Setien's Barcelona, that still doesn't quite work. But there were a few chances in the first half. And then the second half was a bit more in Real Madrid's favor. I think Real Madrid, it then became, there were more steals in midfield. Real Madrid started to, I don't really know if they changed anything, but they started to win the ball so much higher up the pitch. <coughs> And that led to a few attacks where they won the ball in Barcelona's half or around the halfway line. And eventually they got the goal. And after the goal, like I said at the start of this, when you score the first goal in the Classical, it changes everything. 
Well, it's funny because <clears throat> my initial feeling to the start of the second half was that Barcelona were going to come into it a little bit because they had they started to, to hold the ball a lot in the second half. They had a good spell of possession, but then that was basically for, uh, after the initial wave of possession in the in the second half just started. Real just started to to gain a lot of momentum, um, and I thought this was this game was an interesting balance of. Um, heroic and epic performances by certain yeah. players, but also really great, also great performances. Um, you know, so Marcelo will get a lot of um, praise in this game, and he did. Yeah. Um, I actually he thought... He deserves it. He, did, he does deserve it. I think part of the, the charm of Marcelo in this game was actually not so much of what he did with the ball. It was more so... It felt like the captain version of Marcelo was, was there tonight. Um, the one that was just uh, getting the crowd fired up, holding the badge, um, you know, you obviously saw the, the, the messy near breakaway where he and Varane combined to, to win it. And so, I mean, that... But like you're saying, the sort of captain, Marcelo, when, when he got there made that intervention to deny Messi, he celebrated like he'd scored a goal. Mm -hmm. He was going crazy. Mm -hmm. He was getting the crowd up for it. He was getting his teammates up for it. Marcelo was a leader in this game. And I think we talked about this after the Manchester City game was, okay, with Ramos out of the next leg, with Marcelo, is he going to play? It's like, who's going to be Real Madrid's emotional leader? Yeah. Maybe Marcelo <laughs> is the guy for that game. That's a topic for another day. But Marcelo showed that he can be disciplined. He can be as skillful as he has been in the past. But the emotional Marcelo was really important, I think. Um, it may have been the most emotional I've seen him in a long time. Maybe since, you know, two years ago when we saw um, Zidane coach the team last. Um, on the opposite flank, Carvajal in the first half... Um, had a few passes where it reminded you of like, oh, this is like Manchester City all over again. Like two, there were two in particular giveaways that one put the team in a really tight spot and the other one was just uh, offensive in the final third. He just gave it away without being pressured. The second half, the redemption arc for him in the second half where he's defending so well, he's attacking really well, he's, he's making runs down the middle. Um, Things I'm probably blanking on right now that I can't, I don't even have my note tab open, but... Well, I mean, the Mariano goal came from, yeah. from his side, and... Yeah. No, Carvajal really did redeem himself. That was one of the storylines going into this game after he was... He was bad against Manchester City, but I think it was exaggerated a little bit how bad he was. You know, he was a little bit made to be the scapegoat, but it's Real Madrid, you always need a scapegoat. But Carvajal was really good, but... Even though he was really good, sometimes he was still so out of position. Do you remember the chance, right? where Benzema gets the volley and he hits it over uh, to Stegen's crossbar. The first half? Yeah. yeah. And it's a ball that comes in from the left-hand side. Yeah. You know who played the ball in? Carvajal. Oh, was it? From the left-hand side. And I, I saw this chance and Benzema hits over. Okay, cool. And I went, wait, what was Carvajal doing over there? Like, he has no business being over there. Danny, get back to your side and stop running away from Jordi Alba. Like, this was Carvajal, the good and the bad. Like. He can be so undisciplined at points, but then when he goes through a point where he's on point, he can just absolutely shut your uh, opposing left wing down. And that's what he did in the second half, especially after Real Madrid scored the first goal. Barcelona, in terms of trying to get back into it, just absolutely could not. Yeah, um, and I thought in the second half, Real Madrid also pressed a little bit better. They started like pressing those goal keep, uh, on those goal kicks. Well, that's sort of what I said before was like, in the second half, there were times when Real Madrid won the ball in Barcelona's half. Yeah. Whereas in the first half, both teams were just happy to be like, okay, we we gave away a goal kick, we uh, lost possession, 
now you guys have an attack and we'll all drop back and let you. Like, that's why I go back to the basketball sort of analogy. It was like, okay, we scored our point, or you know, nobody scored, but we had our try, now you have the ball and you try. The second half, Real Madrid were like, no, we're going to try and cut you off at the throat. Yeah. And there were several times where they managed to do that, and it generated a couple of chances, especially the East Coast chances. They came from those kind of opportunities where, where they won the ball really, really close to the Barcelona area. I, and I think I think Isco is the next talking point we should hit. But but also just to continue on the <clears throat> on the pressing, Ter Stegen in the second half had no idea what to do with the ball. And Ter Stegen is a very very good sharp vertical passer. And um, and Real Madrid just kind of dared him to do it. They kind of like they hedged off of Ter Stegen a little bit and and just see tried tried to dare him to to find some passing and he couldn't. Um, Isco's pressing was great defensively. Um, I was trying to figure out where. And, Deciphering Isco in a diamond defensively is, is kind of difficult because he roams a lot. You don't know where he's going to be defensively on so many different sequences, which puts onus on the other three midfielders. But he pressed well um, and and often was like a, a forward in a 4-4-1-1 almost, or sometimes in a 4-4-2 with him and Benzema leading it. But he he was so important, I thought, tonight in terms of like just his ability to turn in tight spaces when Barcelona are pressing him, he gets the, he, he completely gets the team out of a tight spot when they're being pressed. Um, his movement was great. His touches were great. He was, in many ways, the most, if you ask me, the most threatening offensive player we, with Real Madrid had. Vinicius, obviously, is the other candidate who created so much, um, but maybe... But, but it's a different kind of it's threat. It's a different kind of threat. And, and Isco, I, I thought, had the ceiling to really get Real Madrid a goal tonight. And that, that shot where the Ter Stegen save was unbelievable. Yeah, he almost did. Although I will say, if anyone uh, is admiring the Ter Stegen save, go and see Oblak's save in the Espanol game from earlier. It was like identical, but even better. Just to say that, because Oblak was that. So I, I watched bits and parts of that game. Yeah. I may have missed that part. I think um, that was a Victor Sanchez shot where. Oblak oh my God, that was crazy! Back. Yes, I did watch that. That, that. that was. I was watching it, and I was like. These are the two most similar saves in the yeah. whole season, and they happened on the same day. Uh, that Victor Sanchez, that would have been... I but think, that's a tangent. It, it is, but it's worth noting that that may have been goal of the season had it went in. Yep. It was an insane volley. Um, I'm also happy for you to see Saul in the central midfield again, because uh, Carrasco... Yeah. Anyways, no one cares about that. I mean, yet. never minding about Atletico Madrid drawing with the bottom place team in La Liga. Let's, <laughs> does, let's, let's does, move on to the top. Does not take the headlines. Yeah. Um, up performers. To me... And I don't feel like I'm exaggerating this because I've watched every Real Madrid game for the past few years as of you. But this may have been the best I've ever seen Casemiro play. I thought the, his work on Messi tonight was unbelievable. Like some of his challenges, and not only Messi, there was one where Busquets hits the ball at the top of the box and Casemiro just comes out of nowhere and wins the ball cleanly. And the team goes, and, and it's also his, his touches on the ball were good. He did not have a passing nightmare like he did against Manchester City. His passing is actually quite good. He actually had also won this one pass from the right wing where he carries the ball. He doesn't know what to do with it. And then there's no options. And he just switches it to Benzema and he gets Benzema the ball in the box. I, I thought Casemiro was unbelievable tonight. I don't know if I'm exaggerating. I don't feel like no, I, I think am, he but... was. And, and that comes just after the Manchester City game where he was another one of the really criticized players. And yeah. we said, calm down, it's Casemiro, he'll be fine. And, and the Classico is always interesting for this battle. Casemiro versus Messi is always a battle. And it's becoming more and more of a battle because Casemiro is always in the same position. Yeah. But over the past two or three years, Messi's position has moved more and more central to overlap with where Casemiro is in the pitch. And we've spoken about how good Marcelo was. One caveat I would put to that is 
he hardly had to go up against Messi. We spoke about the chance where Messi was bursting forward, Marcelo uh, ran back, managed to stop him. But Messi, in theory, he's Barcelona's right forward, but he's not. He's so yeah. central, he's so deep nowadays that the player who has to occupy Messi the most is Casemiro and not Marcelo. And maybe that's partly why Marcelo was able to get forward when he could without risk. And also when he did have to defend, defend well because Messi wasn't on top of him like you would expect from a right winger, like Morales was when Marcelo played against Levante the weekend before, you know. So the guy who had to deal with Messi was Casemiro and he did such a good job because this was one of Messi's quietest classicals in a long time. And if you look at it on paper, okay, the credit will go to Marcelo because he's a left back and Messi's Barcelona's right forward. No, no, no. The credit for stopping Messi in this game is a team effort, of course, but this should mostly go to Casemiro because Messi was so central, so deep, that Casemiro was the guy who always had to deal with him and he dealt with him so well. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting watching the Messi-Griezmann dynamic when Barca have the ball because they, they kind of just are, are occupying the same space, yeah. which can can clog it a bit for them, but also at the same time, from a Real Madrid perspective, it's impossible to kind of man-mark one of them because they're both making the same runs and there's two of them um, that can overload you in one space. Um, Griezmann was another one who wasn't... I mean, his build-up was better than his shooting, obviously. He had that one great chance in the box. Yeah. He had one amazing pass as well to set up. I can't remember who, but he had one pass which was just ridiculous. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Griezmann was a bit quiet and it's still the dynamic of trying to work out Griezmann, who's a player who starts on the left and cuts inside. Messi, who's a player who starts on the right and cuts inside. And that was hard enough when you had Suarez, who was a fixed central forward, a point, a focal point to go off. Now, when you don't even have that, it's 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 a difficult uh, problem for them to solve, and uh, you're not going to solve it on the fly in the classical. So that's something they're still going to have to work out, especially with Braithwaite uh, coming into the game. I thought when he came on, he was he, he was, was dangerous. really good. He, yeah, he was he, dangerous. He, he looked lively, and he had a really Good chance. He looked really lively just before the goal. Yeah. And I guess I don't think that's why Real Madrid scored the goal. I don't think it really changed the game that much, but it did offer Barcelona something. But like I said before, when you score the first goal in the Clasico, it changes everything and it, it completely just halts any momentum Barcelona yeah. gained from that substitution, which I think was the right one at the right time. No, I mean, and let's be clear, I, I, there is definitely luck involved tonight. I think, you know... There always is in the Classico. There right? always is. I mean, if you think about the last Classico, remember the la what was the one last year where they lost 3-0? Was that, that was at the Bernabeu, right? Uh, it was. The cup one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cup one. Yeah, there was luck involved in that. Even the 3-0 a couple of years before in the league, when there was, remember the, the game where uh, Kovacic man-marked uh, Messi? Messi yeah. And there was just that moment where there was the absolute acres of space in the middle yeah. of the pitch. And they just ran through, I think it was Rakitic, and then they scored the opening goal. Again, they went on to win 3-0, but if that doesn't happen, maybe the game changes. It's it's so important to score the first goal. You look at some classicals where a team wins by three or four goals, and it looks like they absolutely dominate. And they absolutely do dominate, but after the first goal. The first yeah. goal is always so vital. And, uh, yeah, I mean, imagine you have golden goal rule for classicals. The results wouldn't change all that much over the years because whoever scores... The first goal tends to win. The interesting, goal. interesting. I'd, I'd be interested in seeing those numbers. I, I want to see some stats in that, yeah. but it's true. I mean, because when someone wins the classical, they usually win it by a big scoreline. They usually score the first goal and then several afterwards. Yeah. Um, we're uh, 16 minutes into this segment of the podcast. No mention of Fede Valverde yet. What did you think? I mean, you almost don't have to mention him anymore. Is it? Yeah. He's, he's not even like a new thing. He's not a new toy anymore. He's just consistent. He's good. Fede Valverde is going to be there. He's going to do his thing. 
He didn't play against Levante uh, from the start last week. Came on for the last ten minutes. That was because he had a big week ahead. Yeah. He was going to play against Manchester City. He was going to play in the classical. He did, and it goes back a little bit to what I was talking about before. I mean, uh, you look at Marcelo. He didn't have too much to do with Messi. Yeah. Uh, you look at the left side of Real Madrid. They attacked so much on the left. Marcelo was going forward. Uh, Vinicius obviously was on the left, and then Isco was drifting more towards the left than the right. Who was left on the right-hand side of Real Madrid? It was Carvajal and Fede Valverde yeah. and almost nobody else. Cruz yeah. was sort of there as well. But Zidane basically trusted these two guys, Carvajal and Valverde, to, to secure the right side of Real Madrid, while he had three guys on the left, Isco, Vinicius and Marcelo. And yeah, Valverde and uh, Carvajal did the work of three men between the two of them. And that's because Valverde has the energy and the skill to do that. So, and I, I, so against Manchester City, a lot of people complain that Real Madrid had that possession on the... Actually, no, not sorry against Manchester City, uh, against Levante. Sure. Uh, that Real Madrid had so much possession on the left and nothing going on the right. And uh, But I, I looked at it, I was like, you know what? Sometimes that'll work, sometimes that won't. Against PSG, it worked really well, where like you suck in everyone on the left side, then you have Carvajal or Valverde making these runs on the right, they're open. I think I also think Valverde is an underrated threat on the right wing. Like I mean, in the Supercopa against Atleti and Valencia, he made several nice runs on that side. True. Um, tonight he didn't have that many offensive sequences, but he had a few, um, and he had one where in the first half in particular where he makes a nice pass and move run, and then he he cuts it back. Um, by the way, Isco was unmarked completely in the box a couple of times on the cutback, yeah. so he didn't get the ball. Because um, it goes back to that overload on the left, where a few yeah. times where Isco or Vinicius, if you played the ball to one of them, the other one was free and you could make something from that. But, yeah. Uh, that, that's difficult too. Um, Opta Jose put out the stat after the game yeah. on Mariano. It was like okay. the chart of, it was like all of his stats in the league. It was like one minute, one shot, one goal. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's it was such a, I couldn't think of a better storyline to write. Yeah, you know, like Mariano goal in the ninety. I mean, that was already one of the talking points going into the game Big because time. Jovic was out of the squad. Mar Mariano was in the squad, and when he came on, I was like, I mean, there was no time for him to score, but he could score just for narrative purposes, and he did. I did a thing for three uh, questions, three answers piece on, on managing Madrid, where I looked yeah. at the, the minutes per goal. I can't remember exactly, which is uh, basically my verbal clickbait for you to go and actually check the article. But yeah. Mariano's was about 90-something uh, minutes per goal, and Jovic was about 300 and something, because, of course, he has two goals in the season. He plays all the time. Mariano, Small sample size alert. Um, true, but I think the sample sizes are similar, because Mariano has been at Real Madrid before. He's been there last season. He's hardly played this season, but when you look at the amount of opportunities Mariano has had over three seasons and Jovic over this season, it's, it's similar to the usage, yeah. and Mariano just scores more goals. So, it's funny, you know, Eduardo and I had a long discussion about Mariano, what he brings to the table. I won't spoil it now, but it was it was the conversation we had earlier today, which is going to be by the end of this podcast. I don't think you're spoiled. Is it after this chat or before? It'll be after this we're chat. The, um, yeah, yeah. So, but, but the gist of it was... We're in like, a weird sort of time. We are, yeah. This, is, uh, this, this, this podcast is, doesn't make sense in, in a lot of ways. But, um, oh, uh, I wanted to mention Semedo. I yeah. think, I don't know, any time I watched Semedo play, I think he's so good defensively and, and, and probably underrated. And he had the job of, the, the, the task of stopping Vinicius tonight, and I thought he sure. did really well. Like, I, I think, like, any time Vinicius tried to dribble at him, Semedo just picked his pocket. 
Vinicius' success mostly came when he was kind of making those off-ball runs behind and getting the ball and through balls. But anytime he had to square up against Semedo, he would, he would not be able to get behind him um, really good. Um, I wanted to ask you about Barcelona. Is there anything that Setien should have done differently? Because I guess the talking points were he went with a, a 4-4-2. Sure. Alba, maybe not 100% fit. Vidal as an attacking midfielder, right winger, pseudo right winger. Yeah. I, like, I like Vidal. You, I think you have to put Vidal in this game uh, because I think Vidal was good when he was on there. I mean, you yeah. even saw the bit when he was on the ground. He was trying to, like, nudge the ball forward with his with his mohawk, you know? Mm -hmm. like, like I, I was shocked he did not get a yellow card You've seen it before with, that. like, Phil Jones at Man United where he just, like, sticks his head out. Yeah. But Vidal literally, like, he brushed the ball with his mohawk and it moved, like, nothing. Right. But that determination, you need that, I think, in the classical, which is a very Ernesto Valverde move. Yeah. I think the lineup was a very Ernesto Valverde lineup. But with Setien, it's the same thing. It's pass, 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 pass. And Vidal what, brings something different. What do you do with it? And it kind of goes back again to that basketball analogy. It's like a team that has two minutes left in the shot clock because they just passed it around so long. And then they try to scramble to make something happen because it's like, hey, guys, we've had the ball for like three minutes. We should try and do something. And it's just not orchestrated. It's just not planned. It's so unurgent that you just allow the opposition to get absolutely perfectly sorted yeah. in defence. That's a typical Setien way where you focus too much on possession at the expense of creating some disruption in the opposition's defence from what norm not even a counter-attack, but just a semi-counter-attack, a semi-attack with urgency. Yep. You don't see that with Setien, and you've seen that in other classicals with Valverde. And I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a Setien skeptic because I've seen it with Real Betis. They keep possession, yeah. they have nice stats, but they don't score goals. And yeah. Barcelona have the players to still score some goals, but in a game like this, there has to be more urgency than what there was in the first half when they were slightly on top. They just every time were so slow that Real Madrid could reorganize and, yeah. and shut them down. Vidal is also not a fun player to play against. Like he's an annoying well, I player. I think you need him there. Yeah, and he there was he got into some good positions tonight too. Like where no one was marking him. Like whoa, how did how was no one marking him? Because he's moving off the ball well. Um, he's, just, he's an intelligent player. Uh, any words on Matteo Lahoz, <laughs> our boy? I love it. I love it. I think he's retiring this season. I think. <laughs> yeah. He, I think so. this is his uh, his farewell tour. I think so. He's forty two. It is not that old. <laughs> Uh, is well, that also yeah, a referee? That, I actually that's, that's because, uh, <laughs> sort of. I mean, referees are always a bit older, but it's sort of, once you get past 40, you maybe have a few more years left. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's been balding for about two decades, so, yeah. I mean, it's hard to know. But Matthew Lajos, the first 20 minutes, three yellow cards, the classic Jordi Alba, Carvajal, you're both booked, even though I don't really know whose fault it was. <laughs> he booked Vinicius. Uh, and then there was also like there was a weird moment where he like uh, touched Umtiti's like both his cheeks. Yeah, yeah, it was a yeah, bit, yeah. It was a bit strange. Also, one like, moment uh, where Casemiro was down on the ground, he just kind of went and pressed his his stomach. I mean, like Matthew Lajos actually has just come down in the metro station and just brushed Keane on the face. <laughs> I mean, given that this is like an audio medium, no one can tell if I'm lying or not. Uh, that happened. Matthew Lajos just came down. No, yeah. he just he's too touchy. He's too feely. He wants to make it all about himself, but. He was actually quite good. 23 fouls in this game. That's like about six fouls below the average for a La Liga game this season. Normally, the Classico is way above the average in terms of fouls. He kind of let the game run a lot. This, I mean, there was a lot of... There was the early yellow cards and there was a few fouls early on. But generally, he let a few things go for the betterment of the spectacle, I thought. 
let me tell you who disagrees with you. Yeah. The tens of thousands of people in the burnabout tonight. I suppose, they were not happy. But what well, specifically? I so don't think there was the, any specific there was, decision that was against Real Madrid. Was there it? was one where Alba nudges him. Uh, and who? Vinicius. Uh, Vinicius, yeah. Um, yeah. There, and there was one that but I... But you can't give that in the classical. Nobody well, would give that in the I mean, classical. it looked like a foul to me, but I don't know. Again, we're not we're not surrounded by replays in the stadium. Yeah. Although today we were lucky we had some TVs uh, beside us, press row. But um, the one that stood out to me, not and I don't... This is even uncharacteristic to bring the referee this much into the podcast. Sure. But um, there was one, I think it might have been the same Vidal situation. We're talking about the Mohawk. But maybe not where he takes Isco down intentionally. And then just to be sure, he also kind of throws his body on Isco's ankle. And I don't think he got booked for that. If he got booked, sure. I, may have, I missed it. But. I mean, that's the thing I would say about Matteo Lajos. I guess the yellow cards was a bit weird. There were fouls that could have been a yellow card. There were fouls that probably shouldn't have been a yellow card. Like early on, Vinicius, you yeah. can let that go. Jordi Alba, Danny Carvajal, just have a word with them. They're Spain teammates. They're not actually going to start like fighting right. each other just tell them to calm it down yeah. they calmed it down themselves at half time as they were going off they had a, a little hug yeah uh, which i'm sure matteo lajos which is he was a part of <laughs> uh he even booked messi which was like i mean messi got booked in napoli and also this one when was the last time messi got booked twice in four days that's strange huh. the yellow cards were a bit sporadic a bit strange there was no real consistency or reasoning to the yellow cards which is normally the case but in terms of the general flow of the game in terms of when he called the foul and didn't I thought he was actually quite good, and as a spectator, I thought he actually helped the game flow because sometimes a referee can just make a classical, just stop and start. I mean, there were 23 fouls, I said, in this game. I think there were 23 fouls in the first 10 minutes of Espanyol Atletico. <laughs> I'm not even joking about that. I think there might have been. I think, I think what get, got people triggered tonight, the burnabout, was more so like the, the theatrics of like, like especially when he touched Ntt, the whole yeah. crowd got up. They're like, "Why are you doing? Don't yeah. touch him!" <laughs> yeah. They were not. They were not a fan of that romantic side. No, and, and that comes because just two or three weeks ago, he was a referee in the Real Sociedad Copa del Rey almost comeback, where it was four three. Uh, yeah, yeah. He scored the two late goals. After one of the goals, he took about two or three minutes just standing in the middle, in the center circle of the Merdabal, with everybody looking at him. I think pretending to hear from VAR, I don't think anyone, <laughs> I think, just, in, just I milking think, in the I moment. think the guys from VAR were like, yeah, that goes good, uh, you should play on, and he's just standing there an extra like 90 seconds, just <laughs> knowing the whole world is looking at him. Uh, I think some of the frustration comes from the way he handled the last few minutes of that game with the time-wasting, the VAR decisions, uh, and then for him to be refereeing in the Burnabout again so soon. Remember, I mean, referees normally have two or three games with each team per season. So yeah. they normally have one, maybe two home games uh, for each team per season. That was so um, that was so um, unusual for him to be back at the Bernabeu so soon after he was there just two or three weeks ago. Um, the one I didn't see a replay of, but I, I trust that it was nothing actually happened because no one talked about it. Sure. The, the first half, the Vinicius penalty thing? Uh, no, I mean, there was like a sort of push on Vinicius, but then he keeps his feet. And then he passes the ball away quite well. It looked like he, he fell goes in the zone. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the bit that looked like a penalty was a bit that wasn't a penalty. And the bit that maybe could have been a penalty was a bit where he stood on his feet, stayed, kept his balance and played on. So, yeah. no, nothing there. Honestly, I think the refereeing, I don't think there was anything too controversial. Uh, Matteo Lajos is normally controversial, but for him, he was, he was actually quite tame. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. I think we, we, we hit covered it most. <clears throat> okay. 
Uh, if we did miss anything, it's past 1 a.m. now, and I think we're... That's true. Yeah, it's time to go upload this podcast. So, uh, Ewan McTeer, thank you for your time and being awake this late. You probably would have been awake anyway doing nothing, oh, so I'll be I don't feel too bad. Yeah. It's classical weekend. You it's classical gotta, weekend. you got to sacrifice sleep. There's things to do. Um, and uh, stick around for part three of this podcast. It's, it's still going strong. Uh, Eduardo Alvarez and I chat, uh, uh, so stick around for that. Ewan, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Take care. All right, we are on a beautiful terrace at the home of Eduardo Alvarez. Uh, we won't give out the coordinates in case someone shows up to your house tomorrow, but it's a very beautiful view. It's it's slightly chilly, but not chilly enough not to be outside. And it's uh, we're here on, on Sunday morning. So anyone listening to this is uh, in a time machine because the Classico has already happened. Um, so Sunday morning, we don't know what's going to happen. We have a hunch. We... We, we, but we have no idea. But first of all, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm, You're doing I'm very good. well. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel okay yes. heading into this game tonight? Um, I'm slightly nervous because I think we lost some of the things that had made the first half of the season so successful. But I'm always hopeful that they can pull it together and and put it so this evening. What? How did you feel going into the Manchester City game? Did you feel the same or similar? Similar because, I mean, if you think about it, we've we've uh, drawn at home to Celta, then we lost to Real Sociedad, then we lost away to Levante, and then we lost at home to to Manchester City. So it looks like it's not the best moment in the season to face Barcelona, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, I think. <coughs> Finally, against Manchester City, finally Zidane went back to the the spine that has worked uh, well for him this season, which is a very competent defensive unit with uh, Mendy, with uh, Varane and Ramos, and with Carvajal, hopefully in a better shape than that he was against City. And then Valverde and Casemiro in midfield, those six players, plus Courtois, who's in a... In, in his best shape as a Madridista. Yeah. Uh, those seven players have helped a lot this season uh, to make things very, very solid from the defensive standpoint. It's not only that we don't concede, it's that they, the opposition barely was barely taking shots on goal. And when Zidane started introducing Marcelo and Areola in the cup, mm. and uh, then Militao, that he started tinkering with the lineup. And it wasn't really a B plan, it was just that Sometimes introduced in, in three consecutive matches introduced Marcelo, and then we lost the defensive swagger that we had. We, we completely we don't we don't look as stable as as uh, we have, and and in some moments of the match it seems like we're about to concede three three goals in five minutes. Yeah, and that that hadn't happened earlier in the season. So uh, so something something changed somewhere, and to your point. Um, you know, when Marcelo was introduced, like in my eyes, if Marcelo can't give you minutes, you know, in a few games here and there, then that's that's also yes. worrying. Although he wasn't, was it against uh, Celta or that it wasn't really his fault? Uh, you know, offensively he was he was decent, and defensively it wasn't really down to him. But or maybe it was the Levante game I'm thinking about. One of those two games, you know, he was better than the other one. But um, but then when you when you when you when everyone's back against Manchester City, you think that most of that gets zipped up. Um, <laughs> I mean, part of the, the problem. Teams, is the thing is, teams lose 
the psychological well, exactly. edge. When you when you lose or you not win uh, four matches in a row, it you start doubting yourself. Mm. Even if and and uh, if you haven't started the same team for over a month, mm. it's a bit tough to get them going again. Uh, and Zidane has this this way about rotating people. Doesn't doesn't really get them into the team by giving them half an hour here or there. Yeah, He, he starts them. So James started uh, three weeks ago, and we saw how that went. Uh, again, these substitutions uh, would make sense out of a base. We, we're not like in the 16-17 season where we could have two units because the, the team was stacked. Yep. Uh, now, we don't have uh, a second set of midfielders, and uh, our offensive players are not working or at least not scoring as as often as we would like them to. So the team A, team B approach is not is no longer applicable, and you can introduce uh, so that players get minutes and they, they don't get out of shape, but you can get them uh, half an hour, 45 minutes here and there, and, and, and keep them going. But introducing Marcelo as a starter three consecutive matches, or getting James as a starter, it's, uh, those players are not up to the to the level that this time of the competition demands we're in february we, we just and now the problem is that we have no room for error not anymore in any competition yeah that's right and so the, the team a team b thing is interesting to me because i'm not sure what team a and team b is at this point because you you, it's kind of like a mishmash of both in, in any given game. You don't know. But but in the big games, you assume that's when you see Team A, right? So in the Classical, yeah. earlier this season in the Camp Nou, you had one version of Team A. Against Manchester City, it didn't include Cruz, which, I mean, in itself was, 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 was shocking. So yes. the omission from the squad heading into tonight is is Jovic, yeah. and, which is also interesting because um, Jovic, since he scored that goal against Osasuna, the beautiful finish, yeah. we have not seen him. No. We've seen him for a couple minutes, and yeah. um, so I, so I don't, and and all of a sudden we see Mariano. So, maybe, so something's happening in training that we're not seeing, or something, or or maybe Zidane appreciates his energy because Mariano played in the Supercopa. Yes. And Zidane said of him and Brahim, he said, um, it doesn't mean anything for their future because you know they're going to play these minutes. They're not going to play in the league. So something has changed somewhere. Jovic being a minute on the squad seems a bit crazy to me. A lot of the questions that we're going to take right now are about yeah. Jovic and Benzema and Mariano. So let's let's start there. Um, Varun says, can you tell me what's the difference between Benzema's season before January and after January this season? What went wrong from a tactical standpoint for him because he's not producing goals and if we are to have any further success this season, he has to score again consistently. Do you guys see him coming back to form and what's the way ahead for Zizou this season if he cannot find that form? Well, the thing is, Benzema's never been a dependable scorer. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry to break this news, but uh, it, it's uh, it was natural that after Ronaldo left, every single offensive ball would go to Benzema and, and he would in, in, increase his scoring numbers. But he's never been uh, a, a guy who scored every single match. and. And not many players are, and, and don't get me wrong, he's a fantastic forward, but yeah. he's not a reliable scorer, and he misses uh, plenty of chances because yeah. he overthinks the play, because yeah. he thinks, or he wants to score the most beautiful goal ever, whether and when uh, just a touch would be enough. Uh, but uh, coming into the season, the, the biggest issue was uh, offense 
from the beginning. We saw that last season, and the the objective was that Hazard would help Benzema and offload not only the scoring goal but the cre the creative yeah. uh, load because Hazard can, can also assist like Benzema. They both have great view of what's going on on the pitch, and he would get more people involved. But uh, without Hazard, we back to trust in Benzema with the lion's share of goals, and that's gonna dry, and then it will, will come back, but uh, really, the season wasn't meant to be based on Benzema scoring, and and then the alternative is Jovic, as you said, uh, that, that hasn't worked out. David, the, the last few games for Benzema are, are more similar to his last two seasons with Ronaldo, where it was about as bad as it got for his career in terms of scoring. He was missing a bunch of chances, and um, obviously, but your point about like, you know, if when Ronaldo leaves, he gets more chances, he scores more goals. It has happened. But, you know, this is not a case of like Messi coming out of Ronaldinho's shadow. This yeah. is a case of Karim exactly. Benzema, a good servant of the club, a loyal player, very good player. But he's not a superstar who's going to carry you. But he's a really great complimentary piece if you have yeah. that superstar to score. And it's funny, you look at the... <laughs> The, the players who are in the lineup right now, I mean, I don't know who's going to play tonight, but you look at the Manchester City game. Vinicius, another player who can create and can't score. Um, and they have a bunch of these players. They have a bunch of creators and no yeah. goal scorers. So yeah. you, you all of a sudden, you and, and mind you, they're not even, it's not like they're creating a, a ton of chances either. Um, um, so, I, you know, Jovic obviously theoretically solves that problem. Mariano was supposed to be, uh, uh, you know, his his profile as a player is to solve that problem. These are all good questions. I, I, I don't know. Like, you know, we, you, you and I were, were talking off there and you mentioned like, you know, the craze about Holland right now, who is fantastic. Yeah. He's scoring a bucket of goals, buckets of goals yeah. in the Bundesliga in limited time. And um, now he's the new thing. Now, if you rewind it, Jovic was that last season. Yes. Jovic was that at Frankfurt, exactly. right? Exactly. And so he I could not miss. If you remember, yeah. I remember one goal in which his teammate was already celebrating before he even touched the ball, because <laughs> he was through on goal, yeah. and his teammate was like, "Well, this is done." Yeah, that that that's how good Jovic was last season. So yeah, yeah. So then the the eternal question is this: We throw around all these names, Holland, Jovic, and whoever else, and this is the striker of the flavor of the month. Are any of them going to start anyway, over Benzema? Do we need to wait for this Benzema window to be over? Is essentially you're as nodding. As long as Zinedine Zidane is the coach, yeah, I think I think uh, that's the case. I think that has to do with the next question, right? Ian Marley, another patron, says the Jovic signing. So I'm really confused by this. It seems Jovic was wanted by Zidane. Zidane says Jovic is the future. Real Madrid wanted Jovic. I just don't see Zidane showing faith in him as he does with Benzema. Like when the club was buying a striker, don't they buy a striker they feel is not only good but can suit how the team plays? Because if all the rumors of Real Madrid looking for a striker are true, which I feel might not be entirely true, I might be beyond annoyed by where it leaves Jovic. Because some of what is happening to the team, the lack of goals, is being pinned on him being a failure rather than him being given very little minutes and chances to be integrated into the team, plus Zidane having an offensive approach that often doesn't work, but he insists on it anyway. 60 million euro man. Um, I think uh, it's obvious that Zidane believes that Benzema is probably the best striker available right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, <coughs> and uh, in every single season that Zidane's coached Real Madrid, uh, Benzema started no matter what. And I think that's why I say 
I mean, as long as Zidane is the coach and we need to, to accept Zidane the way he is with his highs and his lows and maybe his affection for Benzema or his, his soft spot for Benzema is, is one of them. Um, would I have done the same he's done with Jovic? Uh, I really trust Zidane's in, instinct with youngsters and I know that he invests in some of the younger younger players long time. Yeah. And sometimes that means that the player is on the bench for more matches that you would think it's good for his development, but then comes back and gets the minutes and, and explodes. So I mean I think that I I'll give him I, I'll give Jovic I think obviously it sounds like completely out of the question now because we're facing Barcelona in a few hours, but I would give Jovic a couple of sessions of seasons and see how where it's at in 2022 because I believe he's going to be a lot better integrated and, and uh, he's still in. I mean it's also interesting because your the question also Ian asks is about do, do they not plan these things in the offseason when they go for a player do they not think about these things and um, obviously they do and, and you, you extend this to the Mariano situation where Zidane was very clear like if you stay here Mariano you're not playing like even Mariano has said this publicly like you know I, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to fight for my place. Zidane, Zidane told me it's better if I leave. So he's not he's not part of the plans. And if I'm Mariano, it's still I, he made a mistake. He should be somewhere playing in La Liga, somewhere scoring 15 goals a season because he's good enough to do that. Um, instead, he just disappeared here. And now that he's in the squad over Jovic is is interesting. But um, the Benzema thing is also interesting to me because it's like the only way he's not going to play is if he's injured. Or suspended, or physically, yes. physically unable, or La Liga rules do not game. allow him. Because even that that Club Rouge game, uh, where everything was, they had qualified. They're not going to get first place. They're not going to get third. They're second place going into yeah. the next round. Benzema, this is your first time you can rest, and he played. And so I, I don't know what it is. Even in those games, Super Copa, I think were the only two games right that that uh, Benzema didn't play because he was injured. Um, it's 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 interesting to see. I, I'm very curious to know. What was the rationale behind excluding Jovic? Something must be going on in training that we don't know yeah. about, and, yeah. and I don't know what that is. Um, but remember that he left Vinicius on the bench a few times, and now, and now it he's looks back. Like uh, he trusts him, yeah, very much. And and Rodrigo, flip flip that, yes, <laughs> flip it. Yes. I mean, it's 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 yes. so. Uh, yes, I, I sometimes it feels like you know it he's throwing darts. But, and whatever play. <laughs> uh, and I don't. I I think that it, to me it feels really old school, uh. like really old school. Like you, uh, he's treating footballers the way they were treated in the 70s or 80s when there was an old coach, grumpy that would say you need another six months in the youth team mm. before you can actually train with us, just to teach you a lesson. Mm. And today that's that's not. Uh, football players, even even if they're really young, are so hyped, and they have such an entourage and and such a such a situation with uh, with the uh, social media, etc. That it's it's tough to treat them like that. But that yeah. I think that's I believe that's what Zidane's saying. It's just uh, get your act together, and you'll be back on the first team. But you need to you need to make to make a bit of a sacrifice now i do also remember del bosque was similar and yes. zidane played for del bosque yes. and uh, yes. you know sometimes you'd see like this five five man defensive line with helguera with ivan yes. campo and hierro sometimes you'd have three midfielders McManaman as a central midfielder 
Sometimes yes. Del Bosque didn't make sense either, but he got results. So and he would yeah. send a couple of starters back to the Casillas, for instance. Mm. Casillas was benched by Del Bosque for a while. Yeah. Uh, for disciplinary reasons, and uh, that, again, that's that's just a sign that uh, Zidane may be a bit more old school than yeah. we believe. Um, Faisal Hamdan says, "Should Real Madrid leverage Hakimi to get a deal for Holland?" Just watching Holland's off-the-ball movement, he really reminds me of Ronaldo. The intelligence to know where and when to be on the pitch. Do you think it's worth to sell Hakimi on a permanent basis in order to sign Holland? Because if we don't buy him, another big club will. The thought of Barca buying him to replace an old and injured Suarez is scary to think about. All Hakimi questions, I, I defer to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are a bit uh, tainted by this because we were just in your yes. house watching Hakimi uh, highlight reels on La Liga TV. <laughs> yeah. And so we were we were fired up. And we were also talking about Carvajal's performance against Manchester City. So um, if you ask me, <laughs> Hakimi is a bit more urgent for the long-term vision of the club than Holland is. Also, this depends a lot on <laughs> if, if Real Madrid get Mbappe, right? Of course. You know? and, and again... I know Holland looks like the real deal, but he's ha he's been hot for a month. Yeah, let's give him some time. Uh, <coughs> um, these things happen. I remember Al Alfonso Alves scoring eight goals in in, <laughs> in the Dutch league at, in one match. <laughs> Alfonso, which Alfonso one? Alves. Alfonso, Alfonso Alves. Alves. He's a Brazilian striker. I'm, I'm just uh, making. Is this a, before my time? A silly example. Okay. Probably. <laughs> uh, it's a silly example, but. Uh, Let's I understand what Holland, you're saying. Uh, sometimes, sometimes, because let's see what we're at at the end of the season. There's still three months. There's still plenty for Jovic to play, for Haaland to play, and then I think that Rafi is a long-term investment for us. And uh, and we have we've had so many issues to to get the right competition for, for Carvajal, and that never happened. That I think he deserves some of our trust. Yeah, and so. I mean, and for what I hear, it, our relation with Borussia Dortmund is fantastic. Mm. So, I, I think it is we, with most German clubs. We wouldn't even need to to sell them to throw in Hakimi if, if we want to sign. We can send them Jovic. <laughs> I mean, that that would be an interesting swap. Actually, that would actually make sense for Dortmund because yeah. that Holland's yeah. release clause is so low that I think they know yeah. that they can't hold yeah. on to him forever. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, your point about like you know let's let's wait to see what Holland develops into. João Felix is prime example of this. Exactly. Six months of like otherworldly football at Benfica, and world record fee, and he's still a good player. Don't get me wrong, but and one month of glorious football with Atletico, and then yeah, yeah, we have seen precious little. I'm sure I'm sure he'll come good, but um, but the, you know we have to look at the sample size and give players we you know. You and I have been around long enough, one of us yeah. long and longer than the other, but uh, we've seen a lot of these examples, right? Yeah. Uh, young player catches fire and doesn't amount to it. Yeah. Javier Portillo. Javier Portillo, the great Javier Portillo. <laughs> no, Holland does look better than Portillo. Um, when I, also, when I said Hakim is more urgent than, than Holland, I just, I just meant that in a way that, you know, I want to see what Jovic can become. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I do want some proper competition for Carvajal, too. Tyler Dixon says, Pep targeted Carvajal and it worked. He was so bad. When he doesn't have competition for his position, he always seems to fall off. Him and Marcelo's decline have really started uh, for Madrid. It's sad to say, but we need to move on from both. We need to win this Classico. We, more, more. we, we need to win this Classico. <laughs> we need to win the Classico. It's Classico. funny because we were discussing that City has 
two fullbacks that are worth or they paid for like 140 million total mm. <clears throat> and we were saying you don't win competitions with too expensive fullbacks but the the, the fact is that right now uh, the decision to hire Mendy has proven very positive I agree uh, and uh, we needed that even more badly than we thought and now we need a replacement for Carvajal again um, Carvajal is how old? 27, 28? 28, I guess. He should not be in decline uh, yet. Um, no, no, no. But Carvajal is a very very specific type of player uh, because he needs to be at 100% physical condition uh, to be able to perform. Every time he's not... Uh, yeah, he's exactly 28. Mm. Just became 28. Every time he has a knock or is just come back from injury and is not uh, top speed, whatever, you see that his passing is off. Mm. His his positioning is off. Is uh, is probably one of those fullbacks that need the, the their fitness to be a hundred percent. And when he's not, it's blatantly obvious. And uh, yeah, we don't have any alternative now. They were discussing Militao on on the right back. It's really not the profile of player you want to have there. Um. I don't think he's been that bad this year. I think he's had a lot of good games, but City, he was shocking. And uh, and I mentioned this on the on the post-game show. I, I almost felt bad for Ramos and Varane in that game. You know, their entire yeah. job was to cover for Carvajal and Casemiro's mistakes. And, it, you know, Ramos all of a sudden looks like this, the clumsy guy with the red yeah. card, but, you know, he was put in some difficult positions and, and Varane was too. And I thought overall they did well considering. Um, two more. Sad Omar says, how does Real Madrid beat Manchester City in the second leg? Ramos is out, and we just can't seem to avoid conceding against quality opponents. Where are the goals going to come from? Can we even afford to score three goals? Let's face it, we're not likely to score two without conceding. Um, can you see Real Madrid score two goals in, at the I, end? I can see us going there and not conceding. Mm-hmm. This is the best, even with the last few, mon- few matches off, mm-hmm. this is the best defense we've had in La Liga ever. Yep. Ever. I mean, we, we yeah. haven't been this good. This is a fact. Ever. It's actually this a fact. Is, Statistically yes. backed up. I'm not making this up. I just yeah. saw it in La Liga TV before <laughs> we started <laughs> taping this. But it was my impression, too, that we're not conceding at all. It's just that we've had a few a few poor matches. Uh, but again, against Levante, concede one goal against Levante and not scoring, that's, that's what's killing us. My concern is that if we're going to be able to score two or three, um, we can replace... Ramos with uh, Militao and probably uh, Zidane if I know Zidane he will test that next week before the, ma- the City match he will have Militao in the center of the defense with Varane um, and the rest of the team is going to be the whatever we believe uh, Varane, Casemiro, Cross, and he will probably play with Modric and, but, but the thing is what, des- what has me desperate is, is the scoring yeah, we just can't score. No. In some other seasons, we were terrible at the back, and we could buy a couple of last-minute goals that would keep us out of trouble. This this season, that that just never never arrives. Um, I I kind of share the same sentiments as you. I and I told you this before we started recording that um, 
I get sometimes irrational confidence before a game, and then that usually passes when I actually start watching the game and I see how it's unfolding, and the, the nerves kick in, and then you see you know players making mistakes. Uh, I, at the same, I I really don't think it's crazy. Ram just still advance from this. I don't. High. I don't. No, you know? no, I still yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even their offensive goals, I don't think City are that good defensively. And this is my this is this is a very naive version of me talking, but I mentioned this twice now, and I'm still it still sounds naive. But you score one, two is not that far away. You score two, if you can get three, three it's over. Then they have to score five. Those are the those are the irrational things that enter my head. That I don't even know if the team is capable. I'm, they're capable, but to do it is is one thing. Um, but if um, what was I going to say about this? Um, you th- you have to think about this as halftime. Yeah. You're down a goal. Technically, you're down, you have to score two goals, so you're yeah. down two goals. Yeah. But it's halftime. Um, there's 90 minutes, and I don't know if at this Etihad is this very intimidating place. I don't think it is. I, I don't really think City's defense is that good. Enough. Really, yeah. really. We need an inspired night from Benzema, from uh, from Vinicius, and uh, from at least one of the midfielders that joins the, the offensive party and yeah. and scores. Yeah. Um, this last question is another Benzema one, so I don't know if we'll have anything to add, but we'll read it and, and let me know if you have anything to add about the Benzema discussion. Elian Zacco says, can we just agree it's time to move on from Benzema? Look, don't get me wrong, I love Big Benz and always thought that people fail to see his amazing attributes, but he's not and never will be someone to build an entire offense around. It's time that we start using Benzema as a playmaker on one wing or another and give Jovic the minutes. He needs to start scoring again. And if not, we move on to Mbappe or Lewandowski because, like it or not, his constant dropping to receive the ball is hampering our deep progression, because it allows the opponent backline to come up the field and be more uh, and, and be more be more compact. We've seen Benzema play, not necessarily on the left, but you know he, we know he plays well well there on the left. But it hasn't so far looked well when he plays alongside Jovic. Never. No. Not, but I mean, the thing is, he's only had at least the maximum one start, and then he's found himself in that situation at the end of matches when we were trailing. It was we needed to score, and the whole team, the whole opposition, was in their own box. Mm. So it's not like they've had a lot of time to understand each other, to develop an understanding on the pitch, and and see. I mean, this. My point is that I think this still needs to be tested uh, in a different in different uh, match situations that what Zidane has gone uh, has done so far. And my question is, why hasn't done it more now uh, up to now? Yeah, uh, playing with Jovic as the main reference and Benzema on a free role like Isco does. Do whatever you want. Show up on the right, on the left, whatever. Uh, just uh, do your thing, but keep linking up with Jovic so that he's fed and, and he yeah. can. He can strike the ball, which is what he knows how to do. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that Zidane hasn't tested that. And as you said, the fact that Jovic hasn't made the 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 23-man squad today it concerns me because it's really not a good sign. I will say this is about Mariano. And um, it's as, as shocking to me that he's in the squad over Jovic as anyone. But 
I, I honestly, anytime I've watched Mariano play, I like what I see. You know, like I just, even though you don't know if he's, a goal is coming, you know, you know, he's going to just throw people around. He's going to get on the end of. He's a, he's a fireball. A display of energy. Yeah, uh, uh, it's just. Uh, it makes motivates me want to, to get watch. out of my seat and yes. go to the gym or something. It's it it's actually quite world. inspiring to watch. So like, I don't mind seeing Mariano for that reason. I actually really like the guy. And uh, Jovic aside, that's separate discussion. But it's not beyond him to go and cause some damage. You know, in the classical. I don't think he, I don't even think he'll get minutes to be honest. Mariano's last big night at the Bernabeu was uh, Roma. Roma, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And at, after the match, uh, he scored a fantastic a cracker. And after mm. the match, Lopetegui said Mariano went out to play today like every Real Madrid player should go out and play at the Bernabeu. Mm. And and that's that's the stamina that he brings to the table in every match he plays. Uh, he's I, I, this may sound a bit harsh, but he's completely useless outside of the box. Mm. I mean, he cannot even give the right pass if his life dependent on it. If he's in midfield or mm. or three quarters of the of the uh, of the pitch, but then inside the box, he will fight for any ball. He will yeah. jump higher than anyone. Yeah, he'll risk his yeah. his own safety. Yeah, just to get at the end of of a cross. Uh, and he'll get to he'll get to crosses that I didn't know you physically could yes, because sometimes you'll see it looks like a bad cross, and yeah. it's not going anywhere. But then he flies in and he gets to it. That's I mean it's it's good energy to have. I, again, I don't think he's going to play in the classical, and if he does, I don't know how much of a big role it's going to play. And if he does, it's not a good sign. <laughs> if he, if he does, it means they need goals. Exactly. Yeah. If he does, yeah. Um, all right. So maybe we'll end with this. People are listening to this in the future. They're gonna laugh at us, or, or I don't know. But give us your prediction and see what uh, how how true it will be. I think we're gonna win today. I think we're gonna win two okay. one. Two one. Yeah. Okay. And it's gonna turn similarly to the the match at the Camp Nou uh, turn or season for the bad. We mm. had been doing very well, mm. and we should have won there. But after that, we haven't been the same team, and I believe that if we win today, we will get back to to the solid team that we've been for most of this season. That it'll it'll get us get our morale back. It'll get yeah. us yeah, uh, again fired up and, and with the tension we need, which is something we've lacked in the last four matches. I mean Ramos talked about this too, um, after the Manchester City game. He was saying he was doing an interview with La Liga before the Clasico and he said, you know, the good thing about playing Clasico now is that you win the Clasico, all of a sudden your energy is different. You know, you can you can go t tackle the bigger feats yeah. of the season, and uh, so uh, I'm going to say my prediction a little bit bigger picture, two two, but it's uh, a good performance, and they're like, well, this is if they play like this every game, they're gonna they're gonna win the league. We need to win two. I know, but I'm just saying two two <laughs> two two, but good good for them. We're out still, and then it go they go, we go on to beat City. That's my prediction. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay, Eduardo Alvarez, thank you so much for hosting your beautiful uh, terrace. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> it's a it's a gorgeous spot. Um, always fun having and chatting with you. Uh, until next time, Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.